Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Sean's Rambles. This episode is going to be about Judgment Night by C.L. Moore, which is the second major text that has been assigned for my space opera course. I'm eventually going to do an episode on E.E. E. Doc Smith, The Skylark of Space, but I wanted to start with Judgment Night because it's the one that's the freshest in the mind at the moment. I should note up front that this episode will contain some possibly triggery discussions about rape and sexual assault, so if that's something that you... Well, that if that's a trigger for you, obviously, this would be a good point to stop. Uh, Judgment Night does contain a narrative component, which, after listening to how my students approached it, I really do think is essentially a rape narrative. Um, and I really want to talk about that element here. So for those that are not familiar with Judgment, Judgment Night, it's C.L. Moore, a.k.a. Catherine Lucille Moore, who also went under the names Lawrence O'Donnell, C.H. Liddell, and Louis Paget. You will notice a trend in the naming. C.L. Moore, Lawrence, C.H., Lewis, etc. This is a period at which quite commonly women used uh, masculine or gender-neutral pronouns and names in order to essentially sell their stories under the assumption that people would not buy stories by women. This is a story we're all, I think, pretty familiar at this point, and the kind of obvious example in the one I brought up is James Tipper Jr. slash Alice Sheldon, which the folks at Galactic Suburbia have been covering in a couple episodes, and I really recommend listening to those. C.L. Moore was also apparently married to Henry Kuttner, which was as the result of receiving a fan letter from him in which he assumed that she was a man, and I guess somehow that sparked some kind of a relationship. I'm not sure exactly how that did so yet. It was a sort of tidbit that I did find, but I did find that rather interesting. But Judgment Night basically takes place in a vast interstellar empire. Our primary focus is a character by the name of Jewel. I'm pronouncing it that way. It's it's spelled J-U-I-L-L-E. I'm pronouncing it Jewel just because I'm not sure how else to pronounce it. Jewel is the empress in this this empire, and she has a very different perspective on how rules should be run, how an empire should be run. Her father seems to take a much more loose position, and by roughly the halfway point of the book, which is where my students are at this point, it's very clear why, because he perceives the path of naked aggression to be one that will lead to the downfall of his empire and to the eventual burial of his entire family line, which is indicated by the fact that the palace grounds is literally built on top of the dead of former empires which had collapsed and presumably he has come to the conclusion that the reason is precisely the problem that Jewel represents. But Jewel is also an interesting character because her primary storyline involves essentially going to a pleasure planet where she attempts to kind of come to terms with what it means to be a sexual being. And one way of reading this, and this is, I believe, Ian Sell's position, is that essentially she falls in love with a character by the name of Ajid, or Agid, or Agide, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, who turns out to be a member of the rival group, the group which will eventually wage interstellar war against the Empire. And... I found it really interesting that my students actually interpreted this scene very differently. In this scene, essentially, Jules shows up on this pleasure planet with the intention of kind of understanding her sexuality, coming to terms with being both this very aggressive warrior woman, but also kind of understanding what it is to be feminine. And in her case, it means dressing up. It means essentially courting other men, attempting to kind of understand that dynamic 
And she meets Ajit and has what you might call a sexual relationship, or at the very least, a very sexually tense relationship, in which there is much dancing and conversation. And one implication is that this is actually a love relationship, and that for the character of Jewel, her rejection of that is actually part of an abject fear about losing the sense of herself in the process of finding that feminine side. One other way of reading it is that this story is actually about kind of rejecting femininity in its traditionally codified form as the basis for a personality. And that's part of what Jules' primary subconscious issues are, is with kind of coming to terms with the fact that she is not and probably will never be that. My students, however, came to the conclusion that the scene actually imagines a rape sequence. There's a moment in this, this story, we learn that Ajid, for example, has been sent here with the intent of actually assassinating Jewel, knowing that she's going to be there, knowing that assassinating her will make it easier to negotiate with her father, who uh, is in a precarious position as it is, or will at least will be. And what follows is, on the one hand, it's a very manipulated romantic intermingling. On the other hand, we have Jewel's perspective, wherein she perceives what is happening to her as somebody actually possibly harming her. And there's a moment when Ajid actually comes up to her and puts his hands about her neck. And while the story takes, at least in terms of the narration, seems to treat it almost as like a caress, as a less threatening gesture, the immediate response from Jewel is actually, oh my god, I am being strangled. And what's really interesting about the scene is that it's hard to tell exactly which one it is. It could be that he went to strangle her and realized, no, I actually love her, which is one possible reading, and then pulled back. It could be that he did try to strangle her. It could be that she perceived that he was trying to strangle her and that it is her fear. But what I found really interesting is that while we were having this conversation about what it was that was occurring in this moment, my students seemed to realize, and, and I realized, that what we ended up doing was having that kind of conversation about rape victims wherein we find excuses to kind of delegitimate rape victim narratives and that the story was leading us to these conversations in part because of what happens which is a deeply confusing moment where our main character doesn't know what's happening to her we understand implicitly and explicitly that this is a moment of severe discomfort and and confusion especially as she's facing her sexuality but also on the other hand It is also a response that we could see as one of kind of shutting down and trying to 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 make sense of a situation which is rather traumatic. And what follows is that Jewel actually takes on this very interesting role of being hyper-aggressive to the point where she actually turns aggression into a personal vendetta. There's a moment at which she tries to actually kill Agid, and it's not through assassins, which is her initial plan. She believes that she can only maintain her dignity if she kills him to his face. And I think the students that I had are are seeing this as the symptom of what is, from her perspective, a violation of her bodily autonomy. And in the case of what happens on the pleasure planet, it's in fact codified or coded as a potential rape. And I, f- I really was shocked by this because I hadn't actually thought that that was occurring when I first read it. But upon discussion, I realized that that is actually a very valid discussion. And given this is a 1943 story, it's a story that takes place in an interstellar world that is as quintessential space opera in many respects, except that it switches some of the traditional gender roles in space opera. 
it is also dealing with very complicated emotional elements, which, while not unusual necessarily in the 1940s, would have been far less common as something we would expect to see in the narratives of that period, because we associate the 1940s with a more repressed time. Uh, and that's not entirely true. It, there is a, certainly a degree of depression, of repression, but it's not nearly as repressed as we tend to think of the 1940s. In fact, some of the great works of the 1930s and 1940s actually are about female sexuality and sexuality in, in general. And while they're not always as, as explicit, they do address it. I mean, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. The primary character for that is a character with an impotency problem. And so almost the entire narrative is about his inability to to deal with the fact that he is incapable of consummating his relationship with another character. And here we see this being addressed in a largely metaphorical, but also possibly a very direct and literal sense. A rape occurring and a character responding in the only way she knows how, which is on the one hand to rationalize what happened as an assassination attempt, which it is, it seems, at least initially, and maybe isn't in that moment, but for her becomes so, and is legitimated as so later, and it becomes a, a vehicle for her aggression to sort of uh, reassert itself, because her response is immediately after to uh, engage in even more aggression. So there's a lot more I could talk about with this story, and uh, we're not done talking about it. There'll be more I'll probably have to say at another time, maybe, I'm not sure. But I did find it a really interesting book, and if you've not read C.L. Moore's Judgment Night, I really, really recommend it. I think it is a pretty superb piece of work, and I'm really glad that Ian Sales introduced me to it, because I don't think I would have read it otherwise. I would have missed it. It would have been another one of those older works that I just didn't have time to go to. And this course, is, this space opera course, has been a really great way for me to kind of get in to a lot of older work that I, I have missed. So if you have read C.L. Moore, feel free to leave a comment on the website. You can do that at shandu.net slash seansrambles010. And as always, if you want to support me, you can go to patreon.com slash seanduke, Sean with a U, easy enough to find, and there's lots of things that are going on there. So uh, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode, and see ya. (laughs) 